Hey, welcome to this edition of Build Your Tribe. It's not often that we get to have this kind of an incredible entrepreneur on the show. I'm really excited to have Ezra Firestone here today. And the reason why Ezra is such a unique interview, and I think you're really going to enjoy this, is, well, because like a lot of us, he's multifaceted and he's been super successful with a physical product, a company that sells physical products, that being a makeup company. The makeup company is Boom by Cindy Joseph. That's his partner who's since passed away. He also happens to be the founder of Zipify, the CEO of Zipify. Now that's an app. And in addition to that, because he's so great at marketing and everybody's always, since he was the age of 18, wanted to learn more about how it is he learns to market these things. He's also the founder of a company called The Smart Marketer. So kind of similar to myself, he's had success in business and then wanting to share with others why he was successful wasn't necessarily because he was a makeup expert or even an app expert. It's because he's really good at marketing. And so he is here today to talk to us about all those things. He's recognized as a Shopify expert by Entrepreneur Magazine. He's one of the leading experts in e-commerce. He has founded multiple seven and eight figure brands generating over, are you ready for this? Over $155 million in the past five years. And he shares his personal insights on how he makes all of this work and why it is he believes a great part of his success is because he puts people over profits. He leads a team of over 126 individuals, but yet he still has this really mellow, chill life and energy about him. He's himself a described hippie. And most recently, Ezra partnered with Shopify to create one of their premier courses on Facebook advertising. I know many of you could definitely use that because Facebook advertising is a beast. Hey guys, before we get started with today's episode, I just want to invite you to join myself and my son Brock. We're going to do another boot camp for Instagram. Now, if you've done one of our Instagram boot camps before, they're usually centered around like growing your Instagram, which is of course something we're going to touch upon in this one. But specifically, this boot camp is designed to help you figure out how to monetize Instagram, like how to sell on Instagram or how to you know, have products that you recommend and how do you go about recommending those things so you don't come across salesy, so that you don't lose followers. We're going to share with you the exact templates that we use on stories. I've sold over $4 million using Instagram stories and not a dollar of that has been from a fitness product. That's all just things that I love, things that I believe in by using these exact templates I'm going to share with you and the tactics. Oh, and by the way, the best part of this bootcamp that we're doing is it's free. It starts on October 12th, so depending on when you're listening to this, don't delay. Make sure you get signed up. All you have to do is go to, are you ready? Growyourgram.com. If you are listening to the show right now on most podcast apps, you can just kind of swipe up on the show art, and if you keep scrolling or pulling your finger up, you will see the show notes, and that is where you will see the link to Grow Your Gram. You can just sign up there, or you can, this is kind of a cool, fun thing you could do. You could send me a DM on Instagram. By the way, you can open up your Instagram app while you're listening to the podcast. The podcast will keep playing. Open up your Instagram app. Go to at Johnson. Send me a DM that is hashtag bootcamp. Remember to use the hashtag, hashtag bootcamp. And you'll see this really cool automated response where I'm going to ask you a few questions and I'll send you directly a ticket to get signed up for our free bootcamp experience specifically designed to help you monetize Instagram. Without further ado, Ezra Firestone. Well, Ezra, thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a real treat. We typically bring on like a person who has very specific expertise in one specific area, 
We give them a bunch of tips and then we get out. But it's really exciting for me to have someone on like you who has so much varied experience in so many different areas like digital products, e-products, software, partnerships, designing your life, like making family a part of things. There's so many things I want to get your insight on. So if you don't mind, we kind of go all over the place. I would love to. And thanks for having me on. You know, one of my all-time favorite events that I've spoken at was your event in California. I don't know, it was 2018 or something, but it was like, yeah, it was really fun. The crowd was like, Aww. it was great. So yay, I'm happy to we be the, here. The coolest lifers, very cool people. So thank you for that. Our, our live events are a good time and we're really picky about the people we bring onto our stage. So thank you for being there. If I recall, you sold your first business in 2012. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. So let's start first with a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, which I know you started in your early teens or late teens. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? Yeah. You know, I grew up on a hippie commune. So sort of an alternative lifestyle experiment, group living situation in the Bay Area of California and in Hawaii. And the place I grew up was very rich with love and, you know, community and communication and relationship and all that stuff, but had no money. I mean, less than no money. You know what I mean? Like the water would go out or, you know, the floors would mold and people would fall through them. I mean, it's like, or the electricity would be off. So we, we didn't have, you know, so I remember at a very early age saying, you know what, I'm going to figure this out. I will be the person who makes money around here. I can do that. And I remember like we were having this one meeting, you know, they do these property meetings. What are we going to do? We can't pay the bills. And it was like the power was off and the water was off. And then we were trying to figure out what to do. And I was like, you know what? I was like 12. I will figure this okay. out. And when I came of age, when I really sort of considered myself an adult, of course I wasn't, but it was like 13 years old. I was like, I am an adult now, you know? <laughs> and at that time, poker had risen to prominence in America. It was all over ESPN and it was all, and there was these websites you could play on. So I convinced my mom to give me her credit card. And I signed up for one of these online poker accounts called Party Poker. And I bought this book or someone had given me this book actually called Play Poker Like the Pros. And I got really, really good. I read the book. I did what it said. And I made a whole bunch of money playing online poker. So when I turned 17, gotten thrown out of high school, it's a long story. I just didn't fit into the whole school system. Like I was considered a really dumb kid by the, you know, by that system. Mm. Did you have ADHD or learning disabilities? You know, or? I think I was interested at that time. What I saw as a winning model in life was I was trying to figure out how to make money and meet women. That was kind of like what I thought was, you know, what you did, you know, and I had, I feel like you get what you want from people who have it and the school system did not have what I wanted. And no. I was just like, you know, so I, I enjoyed the social aspects of school, but I also didn't have structure at home being like, you got to get good grades. It was like, don't get thrown in jail and graduate. That was like the level at which I was, you know, and that was the, the boundaries I had, you know. Which is what most teenagers wanted, but you probably had to then figure out how to create your own structure, I'm assuming. Yeah. And, you know, that system worked really well for someone like me because I thrive in chaos and I will like figure it out. But, you know, some of the other kids didn't work as well for not having that structure, you know? Yeah. But anyways, back to the entrepreneur thing. So I moved to New York at 17 to play poker because I had a fake ID and I was using that in California mm -hmm. to get into the card room. But I knew there was like a, a budding scene on the New York underground, you know, these places in Manhattan you could play, you didn't need an ID and, and it was all mob run. I had figured out on the forums that like New York was the place to go if you wanted to make it as a poker player and you were underage. And I had a buddy out there named Cindy Joseph. So you were, you're making money by then. 
Oh yeah, I was doing well. I was, you know, maybe like 50, 60 grand a year. I mean, but for a high school person, you know, right? it was good. And I was spending that all on like pot and, you know, stuff that you shouldn't <laughs> be spending your money on, you know? So I had not yet figured out the art of keeping money, but I had figured mm. out how to make it. You know, I always had a hustle. I had a lawn mowing business and I was selling jelly beans. I was constantly hustling. And some of it was, you know, in gray areas. My moral compass was that of a sort of when you're hungry, you will do funny things to eat. Your moral compass stretches. You, fi- you figure yeah. it out. And mm-hmm. once you are satiated, you start looking around and saying, okay, how can I take care of the people next to me? How can I take care of my community? Like Your mind expands to beyond your own immediate desires, or at least I found that to happen. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So I get to New York. And so I should back up for a second. Tell me if I'm rambling, but- No, I love this. All right. So you know, my parents teach courses in- Things like communication and relationship. They did that then or they do that now? They, they, my whole Both. life. So this group that oh. I grew up in is a fascinating group. And they're one of the only intentional communities that have been around since the late 60s. You know, you get a group of people together and a group of people starts at two. And just look at the success rate of groups that start at two. Most of them don't make it, okay? Because things come up, jealousy, money, possessions, communication, sensuality, power dynamics, gender dynamics. I mean, there's just a lot of things that you have to successfully navigate to achieve a winning relationship. And then you start layering on, okay, now you have more than two people you need to get along. You have to get the whole group to get along. And then there's so much more. And so what my parents in this group have been doing since the 60s is researching what does it take to live pleasurably with other people, both in a intimate one-to-one setting between partners, lovers, you know, married folks, and folks who just want to live together pleasurably, and maybe are not having intimacy as part of that relating. Is there a documentary on this group? <laughs> there, there, there should be. And then one day I will create one, but there isn't. But you okay, know, they, okay. it's, we could go down that rabbit hole. They're a fascinating group. Oh and and you're still, your parents are still, and not to like divert this conversation, but I've heard in many, you know, conversations and other podcast interviews, you, you kind of like refer to it in a surface level, but this is how you grew up. Yeah. In essence, yeah. people who grew up in the Catholic Church or grew up in a part of a community, you grew up in part of this community. Your parents, I assume, are still part of this community. Yeah, I am a product of this place and that conditioning. And what was interesting about it is that you know, there's a lot of groups of people who are out there who have content on how you can live a more pleasurable life. You are actually one of them. You and your husband, yeah. you guys make content that people consume that talks about how you can have more in life in various ways, Okay, business, mm-hmm. money, whatever. And many of them, I don't put you in this category, but many of them are what I call get well, which is like, hey, you're broken and here's all the ways in which you're flawed, you know, and I can get you right. I can get you well if you subscribe to my stuff, if you buy my stuff. They're for profit. They're basically like, you stink, buy deodorant. Your teeth are too yellow, whiten them. You know, Almost looking for broken. Yeah. And selling people on their inadequacies only to then say, hey, I've got the solution here and it is my dogma that if that I will prescribe to you that you then subscribe to. And if you think this way, now you're a right person and you'll make it in the world. And that's one way to go. And that's very popular. But the perspective that this group that I'm coming from comes from is, hey, you're right just as you are. We are not trying to fix you. You do not need any fixing. You're the right size. You're the right shape. You're the right age. And you see this reflected in my brand messaging at Boom, which I'm sure you'll talk about. You are the right color. There is nothing wrong with you. And we have nothing to sell you. We are a descriptive, not a prescriptive organization. We will describe for you what we have found to work. Feel free to try those viewpoints on if you're interested. And any that sound good, 
take them away with you, but we're not prescribing you something that you got to subscribe to, to then become right. We think you're right as you are. And we have some viewpoints on ways of viewing your world and ways of going about relating that you may find are winning that help that have you lead a more pleasurable and more fun life. Well, but that is so much of what your theology was in what you experienced growing up. But I have to assume that has to have influenced your marketing. It has. And I and remembered where I was going with this, which was Cindy Joseph, who was my business partner in Boom, who passed away, was a person who would come take these courses. And so she's the friend that I had in New York. I was 17. Mm-hmm. She was 54. We had become buddies. And I was like, hey. How did you even meet if I can ask that question? Well, she, she, she would come to my house to take these courses, right? That my parents did. Okay. And so I would see her down, you know, and say, hey, how's it going? You know, what's your name? We've talked. And so you live in New York. Tell me about that. So you're a model. Tell me about that. I was interested in her and her life. And so I became friends with her and she'd come take these courses. And over the course of several years, we'd hang out and talk and have lunch or whatever. So when I wanted to move to New York, I was like, I know somebody in New York. I will call her. So I called her and I said, hey, I want to move to New York. Can I live with you? And she said, pay me 400 bucks a month and you can move in for rent. And she lived in Yonkers, which is like 30 minutes outside the wow. city. So I moved in with her. And we were a bit of an odd couple in terms of not romantically, but like, you know, we were best friends and I was 18 and she was 54. And that's not a very common relational dynamic. And so she would tell yeah. me about like, you know, what her experience was of being an aging woman in society. And I would tell her about my experience of being a young man in society. And so we'd have these conversations that eventually evolved into boom, which is my most successful business. But after getting to New York, playing poker for a while, I realized this is a terrible strategy for making money and meeting women. It's fun, but (laughs) you have to stay up all night and you are trading your direct time for money and you're hanging out with a bunch of degenerates who are eating butterfingers and pounding Red Bulls until 6 a.m. And it's like, you're up all night and you sleep all day. And this, I got to figure out another hustle here. Like this is not going to get me my goals, you know? So I ended ended up finding my way into e-commerce, long story short. Well, it's interesting to hear about your friendship that developed with this woman who was 20, 30 years your senior at the time, and she kind of introduced you to, or made it possible for you to get your start in New York City. When did you come back together to form what is known as Boom? So while I was still living with her, which actually I moved out, I lived with her from 05 to 08. I moved into the city from Yonkers in 08, but I had already gotten into e-commerce and I had in 07. And so I was living in the city and I was running this e-commerce business. It's going really well. But the problem with drop shipping is like, hey, someone sees a Marge Simpson wig on my site. They buy it from me. They give me 35 bucks. I then fax Elliot, who's got an apple pie in hand at the time. <laughs> he you know, ships the wig out and charges me 15 bucks, right? Problem is, he never knows how much he has in stock because it's all in Juan's head. He doesn't have a CRM or ERP system or nothing. He's just got Juanito mm-hmm. in the back who's keeping track of all this. So he doesn't know if he has a Marge Simpson wig in stock. I already sold it. Oh, and by the way, once he ships it, he's got no way to give me a tracking number because this is pre the internet. I'm faxing him. So I got no way to communicate to my customer if the product, if or if it has been shipped or when it is going to arrive or if I have it in stock. So drop shipping was a nightmare back then. And I thought, I really need to make my own products. And I learned from the life coach because what the life coach had, the life coach had Smart Marketer and Shalene Johnson, our business models, you know, my, my blog and your blog where you sell courses and stuff. He had that back in the day, but all there was was an email newsletter list. So he had 250,000 life coaches on his newsletter list. And he would send out a, a weekly newsletter. And then once a month, he'd run a webinar and sell something using like one shopping cart. 
And that was his business model. So that business, it's the same thing I do today, literally. I mean, just I got more technology and different content and different socials and all that, but it's the same idea. It's a community of people who are sharing a collective experience, who I'm relating with via content that touches on that experience and building a relationship with an intimacy with and connectedness with over time and making offers too. And so I was like, man, Cindy was the greatest orator I'd ever met. She was inspiring and passionate and she could sell you on any damn thing. It did not matter what it was. She was just a natural born saleswoman and was super compelling. And I was like, okay, we have all these conversations about, you know, ageism and, you know, the experience of being a woman and all this kind of stuff that stems from the place I grew up. And you used to be a makeup artist for 27 years. Now you're a supermodel. You kind of created the silver hair division at Ford Models in New York City. You were the first in all the J. Jill and Chico's catalogs. Let's do a combination of those business models where we put out a blog and you talk about being an empowered woman over 50 and what that's like and what that means to you and our viewpoints on pro-age and stuff like that. And we also create a cosmetic line that supports those viewpoints that we can get third-party manufactured and we can have a business here and we will know what we will have a community that is following us over time the best thing about the life coach business, who we can add value to and build relatedness with. And we can have products that we make that we stand behind and ship ourselves. The best thing about the drop shipping business was a physical product. So I kind of combined those two things. She was like, great, let's do it. And then so it took oh, us like wow. a year and a half to get it off the ground, but we, we got it off the ground in 2010. And everyone's like, oh dude, you made, you know, 150 million in the last five years. You know, you're an overnight success. And oh my God. And it's like, no, dude, I had this thing from 2010 to 2014. And I basically lost money every year. And then 2015 was the first year I made money. And then it's been really successful since then. But I was not immediately successful. Reason being, back in the day, there was no Facebook ads. There was no contextual targeting. There was only search engine optimization and Google AdWords. And you know what nobody is searching for? Pro-age makeup. Nobody. I single-handedly have popularized the term pro-age in our society with $30 million of advertising and now Allure's picking wow. it up and now you see it everywhere. It did not exist before some bum off a couch in Brooklyn reached every woman over 50 in America 40 times with ads with this concept. So basically, once Facebook ads came out and I could gather context on groups of people and run ads to them based on who they were and what they were interested in versus query-based ads, which are what existed when I started then I could spread the message of boom effectively. All right. So this partnership is fascinating to me. Did you start with one product or was there something in particular that she was really passionate about? Yeah. So the beauty of Cindy was she was a true expert in cosmetics. I mean, she was a makeup artist for 27 years and she had an opinion. And what you want more than anything as a brand or a person or an influencer is a very strong opinion. It kind of doesn't matter where it falls as you can see Mm -hmm. by certain people out there who have audiences with what I would consider to be really funny ideas. But as long as you have a strong opinion that you believe in really truly that you're willing to stand up for, people will gather around that. People are waiting to be told what to think. I mean, I'm not saying you should be out there spreading messages and convincing people to think if you don't actually believe it. But Cindy had a strong viewpoint on cosmetics and in particular, the kind of cosmetic and makeup and skincare routine that would be beneficial for a woman who was over 50, who was experiencing what women over 50 tend to experience, which is hormonal shifts in the body, hair silvering, skin wrinkling, body changing, menopause, all these things that these hormonal experiences that happen to a woman who's postmenopausal or going through menopause, 
that then modify the texture of the skin, the texture of the hair, the, you know, all these things. And again, the place I grew up has courses on menopause and something. I was somewhat familiar with these concepts. Wow. Talked to her about this, but she really had a lot of viewpoints on that. And so we capitalized on her knowledge there and created products, the Boomstick Trio in particular, which is our first product, which was like, her viewpoint was throw away your whole cosmetic bag, use these three simple sticks, a moisturizer, mm-hmm. a blush, and a highlighter. Here's how you can use them. It was like, now you see a multi-purpose blush stick, multi-purpose cosmetic stick everywhere. But she yeah. really yeah. was one of the first people to come up with that idea and you know, frame it specifically for a woman in this particular age demo who was interested in a maybe not carrying forth the cosmetic routine from her 20s that includes 40 different things and maybe having a simpler routine that would still get her the result of you know showing off her natural beauty. Partnerships are so difficult. It's something we've talked about. In fact, last week I did an episode with Angie Lee on partnerships and how difficult they can be. You know, sometimes it's family that you're partnering with. Sometimes it's you've come together with someone that you see has you know, passion for the same thing, but perhaps differing skill sets. But they're really difficult, really, really hard to make work, really hard to make work. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenges when you first started out and how did you make that work all the way up until, unfortunately, her passing? Yeah. I think in life, there is one skill that will serve you more than any other skill, and that is communication. And I came from a place that teaches communication and communication is actually not what you say. It's what the other person hears. And so you Mm -hmm. have to take responsibility for what that person hears, not what you think. I said this, what did they actually hear? That is what you said, because that's what they heard. And if you're willing to take responsibility, a lot of people say some shit and it kind of lands. It doesn't quite, doesn't quite reach. It just kind of lands right here. It doesn't quite make it. So you got to make sure your communications get through. You have to take responsibility for your communication and also do so without emotional charge. Because the interesting thing about a communication is it is often veiled 90% of the time with positive or negative emotional charge. And generally what people hear is the charge, not the thing you said. They hear how it feels to them, which is how you are feeling when you're saying the thing. And so because she and I were both trained very heavily in communication, and what we had was a one no vote system. And so what that is, is where basically on any proposed action, both of us have a vote. And if somebody votes no on a proposed action, that thing can never happen in the history of the cycle. And so a no vote, it's not just a veto, it's a nuclear bomb in the relationship. And it should never be used. And so basically what that does is what you realize is regardless of where somebody is, if they're a, in our case, we were co-founders, but let's say Carrie and I have the same system where it's like a no vote is actually a description of how a relationship works because eventually someone will get so tired of your shit and you not listening to them that they will vote no with their feet and they'll walk on out of there and they will leave you and whatever experience that they're having with you. And so the idea of the no vote is to promote communication. So if I want to do something, but I know that Cindy could stop me from ever doing that thing, ever. Well, it's in my best interest to communicate with her and get her on board and cover what are called fears of loss. Because the only reason someone doesn't want you to do something is they're afraid they're going to lose. They've got a fear of loss. They're afraid if you go do this thing, they will be hurt or lose in some way. If you build this new website, the brand will be destroyed. If you run this ad, it won't represent what I actually think. If you go to this party, I will be left here alone and be miserable, whatever, you know? And so 
you know, every relationship is going to have hurdles and problems and issues. And, and generally those come from a disagreement on standards. So your standard in any given area, let's just take roommates and the kitchen sink. Well, one person may have no problems with dishes being in the sink all day long until the morning. And another person may have the standards of cleanliness that that doesn't fly. And so when standards are misaligned in any given area, there will be friction and confrontation. And so, you know, us being trained, deliberate communicators, by the way, with the goal of not progress, our goal was always communication and fun and intimacy and connection and party. And progress was a byproduct of effective communication. So neither of us ever had the goal, hey, would we like this thing to work? Sure. But were we in it to have a good time? Yes. And were we going to prioritize that and our communication and how it felt over the progress of the company? Yes. And when you're prioritizing how it feels in the relationship over the progress, you end up getting way further because you're making sure it feels good along the way. You're not making unilateral decisions. Unilateral decisions produce loneliness. Unilateral decisions create chaos. And what happens in partnership is someone makes a unilateral decision and that's what everything up. And so Mm -hmm. business partnership or otherwise, I kind of just said a lot right there, but the answer is, (laughs) yeah, we had a lot of issues, but we had the intention and agreement and goal of communicating about them, how we handled the finances, you know, what level of marketing we were willing to do, how many products we introduced, what content topics we covered. Cindy and I both want to be the star. We're both the leaders. And so when you have two people who want to be the star, you have friction. Yeah. And was that a lot more friction in the beginning? And and I assume- It was actually more towards the end once we were successful because we'd get like podcast interviews. And I'd be like, I should do this clearly. And she'd be like, well, I should do this. But no, dude, I'm the entrepreneur. So it was more friction about like aggressiveness of marketing because I'm a super aggressive Mm. marketer and she's not. Friction Mm. about how salesy to be, how much to communicate, how many products to roll out, what to spend our money on, what to invest in. I mean, friction about everything. Everything. Yeah. But we loved each other. When you first started, did you say, okay, listen, this is the lane I'm going to stay in. And this is, the lane, yes. you know, we're great partners because you'll do this and I'll do that. And if so, tell us a little bit about what that sounded like at first and how did it change over time? So it was clear. I'm the marketer, the technology person, the advertiser, and you are the content creator and the product development person. And at the end of the day, I'm going to make all the decisions over here. And we're going to collaborate about them, but I'm going to have sort of agreement that I get to have the final say, and we're going to have agreement that you get to have the final say. But ultimately, if one of us is in disagreement about some, even if one person has the final say, but there's some level of disagreement, we would stop and communicate about that because ultimately democracy works until the group is small. Because what happens with democracy is, in my opinion, the best form of government the world has ever seen, but it's got one flaw, which is a disgruntled minority. And you get down to a group of two. And you have disgruntled minority and they will sabotage the action. So democracy doesn't actually work in a small group because you cannot have a disgruntled minority in a household, you, your husband, and your daughter. If one person is disgruntled, good luck enjoying breakfast, you know? Right. So we realized early that this whole one person is just going to take responsibility and have all decision-making actually wasn't going to work because it was going to end up with a disgruntled minority, which we didn't want. So we would just stay in it and communicate until we got straight or into agreement or into where we were both happy enough to like move forward. And so we did a lot of communication. And I think that is what it takes without getting into the specifics of like this particular issue or that particular issue. There's plenty of them, Mm -hmm. like with any relationship, Mm -hmm. but we were committed to the communication cycle and getting to a place where the things didn't have to feel the best they ever felt, but they just had to feel good enough for us to proceed. 
I think it's almost unavoidable when there's a partnership to at some point or another feel like you have your self-orientation bias, meaning I think I'm doing more work than you. I'm pulling more of the weight. I'm doing the more important thing. I'm doing the heavy lifting. I'm doing the thing that's moving the needle. And this can happen in relationships that are you know non-business partnerships too that can happen in your partnership with your significant other. We all have that orientation where we, we kind of only see what we're doing. Did that ever creep into your partnership? Sure. Like I knew I was doing all the marketing work. There came a point where she actually wanted to check out. By 2014, she realized she was done. She had had, she was overwhelmed. She was full. She'd worked her whole life. She was ready to check out. I will make all the decisions from here on out. Beautiful. You sit back and collect a check. And so there, we were having a little bit of that friction before that, but ultimately the deals that I like to make are expenses off the top 50, 50. And, you know, if you play the sort of existential or sort of, if you play the accountant, if you play tit for tat in a relationship, you're going to lose. Tit for tat does not work. Tit for tat is not an accurate assessment of a group effort. All there is, is we together have a goal and we are going to use our combined energy to achieve that goal. And we both feel good about what we're investing. If we both feel good about what we're investing, we're both in agreement about how we're using our combined energy to get to this goal. Then it doesn't matter how much I did or how much you did. What matters is are we getting to where we want to go? And are we in agreement about that? And you, know, you see this a lot in relationships where you know, men in particular will value the production. In the classic dynamic of a man-woman relationship, and I understand that that is a you know, it's gender. I'm just giving one example. This is not to exclude sure. any other genders or any gotcha. other people and how they identify and any other relational dynamics, but there is a- <laughs> We have to always have these little uh, forewarnings. Yes, we yeah, understand. I think it's important to say that, but, right. but there is a sort of you know, relational dynamic that exists in a lot of places in this country where the man is the producer and the woman is at home with the kids, right? Or the housewife. And she's cooking and she's cleaning and she's taking care of the kids and doing the laundry and sort of doing the cycles in the home, which allow for the man to go out and produce. And he's gone at work producing, but often both the man and the woman will value the energy of the production more than all these other cycles. And that is just you know, and one of the other things to remember is that with production, first there is desire. And who had the desire? Because generally the guy was happy eating out of a can on a plate on the floor. Generally, the women <laughs> in these relationships tend to bring the desire, but that's a whole separate conversation. The point is that in a relationship, if you play tit for tat, now you're tabulating and you're counting. Well, I took out the laundry, so you should take out the trash. And I picked up the kids. It's like as long as you're playing the one for one and you owe me and I owe you, what kind of fun is that? How much mm, you're yeah. counting all the time and you're tabulating all the time and you're not actually acknowledging the wholeness of an effort, which takes two people or three people, or how many ever people are playing and whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And all energy output is, you know, if you draw the line around both bodies and around both, like, don't draw the line around yourself, draw the line around the whole thing. And then you get it all. I am using, if let's say you're this guy, in our case, I do the cooking and clean around here, but that's just how we work it out. But I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way. By the way, I'm pro any way that you want to do it in your relationship and whoever does what. I think rock and roll. This is not a value judgment against that dynamic. Right, right. It is a value judgment against that perception of that dynamic. And I think the better way to play is to draw the line around all of the activity and have the viewpoint that you are using the other person and the other person is using you to achieve these things that you both want done. And all of the output 
is valid and wonderful and amazing. And there is no, this output is more valuable than this output. It's like, no, this is all the two of us in my and Cindy's case are doing these things. And I need you doing that and want you doing that. And you need me and want me doing this. And I'm excited to do this. And you're excited to do that. And whatever energy and whatever time doesn't matter. We're drawing the circle around the whole thing. And are we having fun and being successful and enjoying what we're doing? There's no need for accounting. Accounting is a waste of time. Well, I love that. I love that in theory and I love that in philosophy, but then, and I'm thinking about how true that can be in relationships and in certain partnerships, but I'm also thinking that there's probably somebody out there right now who's thinking, but wait a second. I started this partnership with somebody who has completely checked out. Like when we're drawing the circle around us, one person is completely like completely checked out. In that case, how do you handle it? Well, you have a conversation about it and you say, hey, the expectations that we have set up front, because by the way, if you didn't have expectations set up front, what kind of a deal do you even have? First of all, you have right. to have a deal. And a deal is about, these are the expectations that I have of you and the expectations that you have of me. Let's agree on that. Let's write that down. Let's shake hands on it. Let's look each other in the eye and say, this is what we're committing to. Now, if those expectations are not met, you will breed resentment and conversations will have to be had. And eventually, you leave or you change something. There's two ways to yep. win and one way to lose in any scenario. First way to win, change your mind about whatever the thing is. That really works. You really can do that. You really can get into agreement with how it is. And that is a, a just as valid as any other way of going about anything. Two, you can change something. In the scenario you're talking about, someone's being an asshole and has checked out of this thing and is freeloading. Mm -hmm. That person either has to change their behavior or they got to go or you got to go. Or you got to have a conversation mm -hmm. that motivates them to do something different. Or you got to understand, ah, they just had a divorce. They're checked out right now. We've agreed. I'm going to give you six months, but then you're going to come back, which I had to do recently. So it's like, there's a lot of ways to solve this. Okay. So those are the two ways to win. Change your mind, change something. The one way to lose is don't do anything and judge it as wrong. Mm. That's how you lose at anything. You don't change anything and you say, this is bad. Now you're losing. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So you, you had this partnership, started in 2010, and you say by 2014, Cindy was already like, listen, you know, she's probably 65, I guess, by that date. We weren't making much money, and the money that we were making was not being spent, you know, she was using. So basically, it just wasn't going well. And she was like, I'm overwhelmed, you know, I'm tired. And so October 2014, I took over in full. And then uh, mm. once I took over in full... I had more free reigns of the advertising, and then ultimately that's what scaled us. When you took over in full, then was she still involved in the formulation? She was still involved or? in the product, yeah, because she was a product expert and she really loved that. And that didn't take a lot of time and energy. She'd go back and forth with the with the suppliers. Now, I should say on the side, you know, 2012, I had started Smart Marketer. 2014, I'd started Zipify. I had bought and built ah. and sold. I had a services agency. I was doing all kinds of other stuff in, you know, aside from Boom. Once Boom really took off, then I started putting 80% of my attention on it because it was my you know, greatest wealth creation vehicle. And I think that you know, there's a level at which in business, the goal is wealth creation, right? Like There's a level at which you're doing it to make money. And you're also doing it for a number of other reasons, but ultimately, it has to make money in order for you to feel good about it and in order for you to be able to keep doing it. All right. Last question I want to ask you. This has been amazing, by the way. When you look at yourself as an entrepreneur... If you were coaching you and you had to look at who you are today, not even five years ago, but today, what is the one thing that you feel like you need to work on this particular area or skill set? If I was coaching me today, well, I don't think I'm objective about myself for one. So let's just put that, let's just 
caveat with, I'm going to buy a little time by throwing that out Fair. there. <laughs> you know, I think I would, I would tell myself I should write more. Hmm. Because. And that is because what? Well, something happens with literal writing. Pen, pen to paper writing? Paper, mm-hmm. not typing, writing that I can access a state of mind, a way of being, a creation energy that I can't get anywhere else and that I don't think Mm. I do enough of. Wow. Wow. So is that more for flow state and creativity and, you know, just bringing out your greatness, not so much like this is costing me money in my business or- I think it's all of it. I think it's like, I will I'll end up writing down ideas that I need to do on Boom, or I'll have realizations of some shit that needs to happen on Zipify, or I'll write some crazy blog post, or I will write a poem, or I'll find, you know, it's like, I don't think you can separate any of these things. I think you are one being having one experience, and it is all interconnected, and everything relates to everything else, and how you be in one area is how you be in every other area. And so I know there's this goal to like separate things out, and no, I am this way at work, and I am this way at home. It's like, but it's not actually how it is. It's yeah, just, there yeah. is, there's only now and there is only you. And so I don't know that I can isolate it. I think it is just, I just feel I should do that and that will be good. And so I don't know, you know. And what do you use as a barometer to know that like, okay, I'm not enjoying this enough or I'm getting too deep into the work or I'm, I, I don't have the balance that I need. Well, how do you know when that's off for you? I mean, generally there are symptoms, you know, like for example, I have to pee every five minutes. Maybe I drank too much coffee, dude. You know, or maybe I'm drinking too much coffee. Or, you know, I'm not sleeping well. I'm tired during the day. Or I feel I'm. Like, I what are this. you? Are, are those specific for you? Like, I've, what, I've what had all of like, those. Oh, this is showing up. No, no, I've okay. had all those. I noticed I'm checking out 15 minutes into every meeting. What is going on? Okay, I'm mm. not present. If I'm not present, there's some shit that's not right here. I mean, look, you can give yourself freedom. You check out, you come back. But if I check out and I'm not coming back, what's going on? So, like, I feel like mm-hmm. there are symptoms that you can notice if you're paying attention to your world, you'll notice that your world is talking to you. And if you're willing to notice, you will notice. And I'm looking for signs. I'm looking to notice what's happening and how I'm feeling and what's going on. And so I notice things. I noticed that I haven't written in six months. I should write more, you know? Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, I mean, being so transparent. Yeah. Super fun. And And I cannot wait for this documentary. about. I know. I got to get on. I keep, (laughs) I also have to do it while you know, a lot of these folks are in their 70s, 80s. So it's like, I got yes. to get on it, you know. Let's go. Let's uh, go. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Ezra. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys, I know you enjoyed that episode. He's amazing, isn't he? Okay, so Ezra, I could talk to him for hours. And literally, I did and have. He's one of those people that's just really a fun person to follow on social media. You're going to see his like regular posts, but you want to follow him on his stories because his life is like crazy. And you're going to hear from him again on a future episode where we're going to specifically talk about how he grew and multiplied his successful businesses and the strategies that he put in place to sell them. So if you're one of those people who I hope you are, you're thinking about your exit strategy even before you start to build your brand, you do not want to miss those episodes. That's why it's really important you make sure you're subscribed to the show. Ezra will also share more in those upcoming episodes about his partnerships as well as the role of his family and and how that helps him to make really important decisions. Please be sure to check out Ezra at smartmarketer.com, at zipify.com, or you can follow him in social media. He is at Ezra Firestone. Thanks for subscribing.